if you want to do sales training without sales leadership, it's a huge mistake. But we've had those programs, but we've now made a concerted effort. We will own that space. We will own sales leadership. Welcome to the Twins Talk It Up podcast, where my identical twin brother and I share our thoughts and provide solutions for executives and professionals who want to become masters of speaking and communicating so that they can maximize their influence and impact. Yes, we are identical twins who happen to also be public speakers, executive coaches, and sales leaders. Our company, DSP Leadership Group, focuses on equipping leaders who want to speak with confidence and authority, all while using their authentic voice. Here on the Twins Talk It Up podcast, we present topics about communication and leadership from our perspective as individuals and as twins. Welcome to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. From time to time, you have to push pause whenever you have an opportunity to speak with an incredible thought leader. Dave Madison is the CEO and president of Sandler an international training and consultant organization with over 250 offices in 32 countries, training over 31,000 professionals each and every year. He is a keynote speaker, the author of several bestsellers, and we're fortunate to have Dave back onto Twins Talk It Up to get an update on the organization, to dive into one of his books. The book is entitled Scaling Sales Success, 16 Key Principles for Sales Leaders, and to really learn more about what Dave is doing with Sandler as we go into the latter half of 2022 and 2023. Dave, it's an honor to have you back on Twins Talk It Up. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back. And congratulations on your new book, by the way. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dave. We're really excited. We're, we're trying to be like you. We're trying to learn how to follow great examples, put our work out there, let people know that we're here to support them. And you've been able to do that over the years with some of your incredible sales trainings, with your books, you've done it with your seminars, with your annual conference. But for our audience who would like to know a little bit more about your leadership journey, Dave, give us a recap. What led you to Sandler and ultimately to becoming the CEO? All right, so I'm gonna go backwards in time because I've been here now 35 years, right? Uh, I was actually a client uh, I joined a company and they said, as part of your employment, you've got to join this thing called Sandler. And if you go to the programs, we'll reimburse you, which means I actually had to pay for it. And so I like, oh, okay. But I thought actually, if you worked really hard, you would be really successful. And there's not a direct correlation. And so when I was there, I was a typical hostage, you know, uh, I'm kind of like this. It's a two day boot camp. I'll probably sneak out at lunch day two, you know, I know all this stuff. And I fell in love with it, I have to say. You know, my, my personality type is, I'm, I'm a bit on the introvert side. And so I didn't wanna to have to learn a lot of scripts that wasn't me, you know, and what I found that Sandler was based on psychology and it was a pull strategy, not a push. It was a conversational strategy, not a script-based program. And so I loved it and I just started to practice. I became their number one salesperson and then I went to work for a local office uh, I had the opportunity to meet Dave Sandler and Dave was looking for a trainer to train all the trainers. And, you know, I looked up my, you know, my arms up and I said, oh, okay. So I went down and had the privilege of working with him. Now I grew up in a, in a household where you could have anything that you wanted. We can't afford it. You just have to go get it. But we, you know, we support you in any way that we could, which was fine. And so I became like, I've been working since I was 12, right? I'm, it doesn't have to be entrepreneurial, but I had jobs along the way. High school was my first entrepreneurial job, had a big painting company that I started. But when I got here, I had a management role of training all of the offices around the world. And then I became Dave Sandler's partner in 1994. And at that time, I've already been working with Dave. He was my mentor for six years. So I was a sponge. I was 28 years old. And I was just, I didn't have a lot of bad habits that I had to relearn. And uh, I did everything that he had said. And then I started managing people. Um, you know, but like every other manager, quite frankly, you're kind of thrown into it, right? <laughs> There's not like a two-year onboarding program. So today we're talking about difficult conversations. No, you freak out the night before, like, oh my gosh, I got to have a difficult conversation with somebody twice my age. 
where's that in the manual, right? So I, you know, same thing. So I had to learn by doing a panicking, stalling, <laughs> sick today. I had to have a difficult conversation. So it got pushed to the next day, all the typical garbage. But then I just started buying up more and more of the company. And so in 2012, I was, I, I owned the company. And so from that point, it's just been, you know, on the left lane, as I say, internally, it's been on a fast track. This is Danny. That is phenomenal. And I love how that is a great story for most people. Think, think about this, guys. You can work your way up and buy, buy and buy. And next thing you know, you're owning the company. I love that. And everyone knows your brand. The brand of the organization is one of the biggest brands when it comes to training around the world. And I think that is phenomenal to hear that story. Thank you for sharing that. Let me first off by, uh, start off by saying congratulations on the growth and success of Sandler. I thought that was amazing. Back in 2022, which is this year, Sandler was named the top franchise by Franchise Business Review. Amazing. And yeah. you know, as a podcast host, we're excited to learn uh, that Sandler's podcast uh, entitled How to Succeed has now eclipsed 500 episodes recorded with 2 million downloads. That's right, audience, 2 million downloads, making it the top 50 business podcasts on iTunes. Wow. This is nothing but celebrations. I think that's phenomenal. Awesome. But you've also added to your leadership team a new head of global brand and marketing, yeah. a head of product management, an EVP of enterprise sales, and, of course, EVP of franchises. Despite this pandemic, you guys are still pushing forward. You're still growing. Your brand is more incredible now than ever before. Can you please tell our audience, what has been your mindset for growing the Sandler organization and the Sandler brand, because this is phenomenal. Well, yeah, we've grown almost 38% right, as far as headcount is concerned. And the reason being is I've always thought if you're remaining static, you're in trouble, right? You're, you're done, you just don't know it yet. And so we always have to continually move. The outside environment is moving constantly. And in our industry, the people way people learn, with the, the way content is you know, disseminated, Everything is changing. So for Sandler to go back into the turtle shell and say, we're going to wait this out, like many of uh, you know, my competitors have, I just think that the, it, the puck goes right by you. You didn't even see it, right? And now you're playing catch up. So back in 2020, we were the last conference out of Florida before they just shut down all the, the stuff that happened. And you know that was from the 20th of March all the way to let's say the end of June. We did 3,500 virtual programs like that overnight. So we had pivoted very, very quickly. And so my mindset is, you know, take advantage of the situation, take advantage of the people that are frozen, and use that opportunity to strengthen your own processes, your own people, and then go and gobble up, you know, market share. And that's really what we've done. And I think, you know, on our franchise side with all of our local offices, they did a fantastic job. They really did. And coming out of that pandemic, because of all the things that we did, I'd say 90% of them had the best year that they've had in their whole career with us because of all the things that they had started. And so it's really paid off. That's awesome. And I love that. And one of the things that I thought was really cool, you grew. Mm -hmm. A lot of people let people go during the pandemic but your organization actually went on a hiring spree. You were hiring like crazy. That is amazing growth when I think about that. Dave, in, in, in my space, success can be a direct reflection of the depth of strategic partnerships that are developed. Can you touch on the recent partnerships with HubSpot? I, 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 mean, I must imagine that it would make sense to align one of the industry's foremost sales training organizations with the, one of the most industry's leading uh, CRM, customer relationship management platforms. Talk about this partnership and what does it look like? Well, we're huge fans of HubSpot. You know, we've been uh, training HubSpot for quite some time. So we had a very good relationship with them. They saw the results for themselves, which then of course has, they have the confidence and conviction that this is a good thing to share with everyone. And so we've built that proof of concept with them. And I'm a huge fan because their market is our market. If you think about it, they dominate the scaling companies. Sandler dominates scaling companies. So from a, a market perspective, there is an awesome fit. But from a partnership, you know, they are, they are fantastic. I have to say, every time I hang up, I always say, that was awesome. I hope my people are, do the same thing, you know? So here's the type of relationships that we have. We've been doing a lot of joint articles. We did some case studies. 
Um, we also have created some programs that they put into their system to help all of their ecosystem learn a little bit better sales and, and sales management, things of that nature. Uh, we also have a whole thing where we've actually integrated CRM into everyone in Sandler now is on HubSpot, right? Which is great because you get to combine CRM in the marketing hub and it's just awesome. But I, I think as we move down, what you're going to start seeing is because we've chopped our content up into small actionable tactics and strategies, because we had to do that just for our virtual presentations, that the ultimate is when we embed Sandler into HubSpot. So all of the Sandlerites out there, the Sandler Nation, will have those tactics and strategies popping up in real time so they can use it in the flow of work. And I think that's really what's going to happen. See, content and technology cannot remain uh, like this. It's got to be it's synergistic. It's going to be one. And so Sandler has to figure out, which I think we have, how do I make sure that I'm in all the tech stacks? How do I make sure that we can be at every platform? Because if you think about the SaaS world right now, guys, everybody's everybody's fighting to keep that those those clients in their ecosystem. They don't want you to go somewhere else. They don't want you to go to Sandler platform and leave their platform. So, I mean, we can fight that war. You're not going to win it. So what we're doing is say, we're going to go into everyone's platform. So the next big thing is we'll hopefully embed ourselves into the CRM itself and then making it a seamless you know, experience, which is really key for the learner. But back to that flow of work, I believe that it, whatever methodology that you have, right, it should be available to you in whatever you're doing as a leader or as a salesperson. You shouldn't have to go find it. It should help you. If you don't have any self-awareness that you need help, it should pop up, right? Hey, you're 0 for 10 here. Would you like a quick tip on this? And so that's what I see happening moving forward. But love that relationship. You know, Yamini, the CEO, just spoke at our conference. I'm about to speak at their conference as well. And I have to say it's one of our best partnerships that we have. We'll be right back after this short break. We want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Live Love Thanks. Live Love Thanks helps purpose-driven women leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs to permanently eliminate clutter and end stress and overwhelm so they can move forward in their careers, relationships, and health. Visit LiveLoveThanks.com for impactful coaching and program professional women's. I am delighted to announce that App Meetup's customers can now benefit from the presentation and speaking training courses with our integration and partnership with DSB Leadership Group. DSB Leadership Group is committed to providing training and resources to support professionals becoming more effective communicators and increase their impact and value. And that is the reason why App Meetup and DSB Leadership Group have formed a partnership to make sure that our MSPs, which is you, can be effective and powerful speakers in the community. Whether you are hosting a major conference, a specialized training, or a year-end corporate event, finding the right keynote speaker or breakout speaker should be at the top of your priority list. Partner with Elite Speaker Services to book speakers according to your specifications and needs. Elite Speaker Services has the depth of speakers and the experience to bring you peace of mind and a successful event. Go to EliteSpeakerServices.com for all your event needs. Let us deliver the message your audience needs to hear. Let us deliver beyond your expectations. Thank you for listening to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. As a special thank you, we have an amazing offer for our listeners. 20% off products or services on our website. Just send us an email with the subject line podcast, and we will send you that special discount code at dsbleadershipgroup.com. And now, let's get back to the episode. Welcome back to Twins Talk It Up podcast. Dave, this is David, and I really appreciate how you've found the right type of partnership. And it just makes sense. It's, it's literally the perfect fit. When yep. you're thinking about aligning with an organization that's hitting the exact market you're hitting, and you can give a seamless transition for organizations to be able to say, hey, I already use HubSpot. We also need some understanding on how to become better sales leaders, better sales trainers. Or if you've already got Sandler uh, organizations that you're supporting now to be able to say, hey, what are you doing and make sure you're maximizing the ease of, let's say, communication within your own organization. 
this is an amazing commitment to one another to be able to build together. And I think what really is interesting, it's helping me to understand why this is going to go to my next question, Dave, about the pandemic. You can have relations with a lot of different organizations out there, but it's important to be aligned with those few that just make sense. So we call them strategic partnerships to where you can grow together, that you can literally look at one success and know that part of that's attributed to the other organization that's a part of that. So can we talk about what you've been doing at Sandler, you mentioned earlier virtual. Well, can you talk about how sales training and coaching has changed or maybe even adjusted as a result of this pandemic? And how has this impacted the workforce? So I know more and more companies have either adopted a hybrid model, the, some of them have adopted a complete remote workforce. How have things changed with Sandler and how have you responded to the pandemic? So if I go backwards, David, for a second, I would say, as far as those partnerships are concerned, as leaders, you know, just checking out the box, look at all the partners that we have is a complete waste of resources within your company. So if you're going to pick a partner, less is more, yes. and make sure that you have key performance indicators that you're going to hold each other accountable for. So we all know how we're being measured, right? And because normally these partnerships fall apart because everybody's expecting the other side to do the work. Like, hey, I've gotten any leads from you this week. That stinks. Well, you haven't sent me any in a year. Don't worry about that part. I'm waiting for your leads, you know, that type of thing. So I think you're, you're spot on with what you've said. So going back to COVID and how it's really affected the training business is obviously everything's virtual. Now we're seeing in parts of the country, it's going back to a hybrid. Uh, I think everyone will be crescent if they say what it's going to turn out to be, but I think it's going to go somewhere in that happy medium. I don't think it's going to remain as is. It'll probably be in that you know, partial, depending on the organization. Like a lot of tech companies, they're going to remain virtual. That's just the way it is. But there's a lot of industries that we serve that want to be face-to-face. -face. And so we have made it available to do both. And I think that's that's the key. But here are the lessons that we've learned from the virtual. You have to be super engaging. So, you know, in the old days, if you had a boot camp, let's say you could hide in the back, you just gotta lower your lower your, you know, your head so the guy can't see it in front. You know, you do that, one of those moves. Uh, but you've really got to engage everybody. And the trick is to make sure that what you've said, they go from knowing to owning. And that's key because you know, you don't have some of the same dynamics that you would on a face-to-face. -face. But the pandemic has done a couple big things. One is it's taught both sides, both the training industry and the clients that you can do it virtually. I mean, everyone would have denied that up front, right? And so there's never innovation normally with a pandemic, it's always acceleration. So the use like Zoom and all those things, they were there, but they've accelerated and the use cases have accelerated, right? So you've just got to figure out, okay, how are we leveraging that and how are we doing that? So one of the things that's happened is that you've, first, we've got to make sure that they've accepted it, which they have. And second, they're using the T&E budgets now for development of their people, which is fantastic. I mean, think about that now. They're, they're using what they considered an expense over here as the investment because training always gets slashed. I don't care what we say, right? But T&E doesn't get slashed. So that's moved over. And I love the last thing that I've seen, which is that clients have the ability because we're doing small 90 minute, 60 minute sessions to say, look, I know we're going to talk about questioning this week. I don't want to talk about questioning. I want to help my people talk about price increase. They're afraid. They don't know what to say. They buckle when the first, when the person says no. So let's cover price increases on this session. No problem. And they are seeing so much return on that investment of time and resources because we're taking care of in real time problems that they're experiencing. And to me, that's been complete shift from what it was, you know, because we may have seen them once a month, yeah. but now you're seeing them on a weekly basis. Uh, and I think, so to answer your other question about the work environment, I think it's hard. Look, there's no, you have to, I think the sense of community is kind of crumbled right? I feel so bad for the new employees of most companies. The onboarding process is, has really been horrific, but it was always horrific, but you could hide it, but now you can't hide it because you're still at your house, right? It's not like you can mingle with other people and ask questions. You're by yourself. 
And I, and I think that that camaraderie and the sharing of best practices, because if you really think about it, and maybe it's just me, I'm on more calls now than I've ever been in my life, right? Because there's no playing time. I mean, I'm like on Zoom to Zoom to Zoom. You know, I'm trying to figure out when to run to the restroom. So it's just, that's the way it is. And I think it's the, that's the way it is for a lot of people. And so you really have to also, from a selling perspective, really figure out some of the tricks and, and tips to engage people in that sales process as well. I think it's been a learning experience for all yeah. sides. Yeah, this is Dave. And I appreciate you sharing that and that you've really looked at this pandemic. You've looked at what companies have had to go through and you've adjusted your approach to supporting those organizations. As a matter of fact, Dave, one of the things that was pretty new in terms of an introduction to Sandler is the new learning platform. Yep. And so I want to ask you, how's that been going since you've integrated that? And what are you seeing as a continued trend when it comes to supplying these organizations with sales resources? Well, I, listen, uh, we, have an, we have an LMS now, right? So uh, we have the new one. But I think you always have to stay ahead of that puck. The technology that's coming out today makes ours three years ago tired. Mm. It's just old and tired. So now you've got systems which are integrating AI, right? You want avatars that can role play with you because your manager probably isn't role playing with you as you should, but you want to learn how to implement this stuff. And you can practice amongst yourselves, but after a while, what are you doing? So now with all that AI and, and you know, augmented reality that's, that's just around the corner, right? it's just around the corner, things have really changed. But I think the, from a new learning platform for us, we have to make it even easier than it was to find everything. Sandler has so much content. We have yes. like 8,700 pieces of tools or content. And I'm excited about that because it's a big number, right? My mom's so proud. She goes, oh my gosh, David, 8,700, you're, you're, like, you're the man. But in reality, I'm a hoarder. So you've got to streamline everything. Yeah. You know, If they can't find it in a second or two, we're in trouble. And then also I want total control mm. as the end user. I want to be able to create my own learning paths. I want to run my own reports. I don't want to ask you for those things. And really what we've been forced to do, and everyone else has too, is to act like Google, Facebook, they're the ones who are training everybody about what the expectations are. And if you're not going to match that, you can say, oh, well, I'm not in the same business. Well, you're not in the same business, but your end users are using those tools and they're going to judge you based on what they're using every single day. And it took us a while to actually come to grips with that. Hey, this is learning. No, 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 no. You can step back for a second. You're online. And once you're virtual, you're playing with the big boys. So you have to actually have the same process and systems and the same experience that they have. This is Danny, and I appreciate you bringing that up. I want to do a, a transition to talking about one of your books. Okay. Uh, my twin and I have recently released a book entitled Talk It Up, A Guide to Successful Public Speaking. Dave, you continue to put out great resources, and you talked about how your mom was really proud of you having all the hundreds and the hundreds of thousands of resources that you have as well. Uh, but you continue to put out new resources and new training for sales leaders, including one of your more recent books entitled Scaling Sales Success. 16 key principles for sales leaders from your research on these 16 principles, which were the most challenging for sales leaders to either accept or adopt? Because we know it's a mind, it's a mindset type of thing. But from my initial look at these 16 principles, I would guess that uh, probably don't get too emotional. Don't get too emotionally involved. Maybe begin with their point of view, uh, micromanage where at the top. I mean, there's so many great key principles that you have. Yeah. What were the most challenging ones? Uh, well, some of them is the ones that come to mind are, and I'm going to make this intuitively it's simple, right? But we don't do it. So uh, be strategically inquisitive. Yes. What does that mean? I'm running from Zoom to Zoom to Zoom. So are you. So when somebody comes and asks a question, Dave, how do I do this? Every inch of my body wants to say, this is how you do it. Got it? Yep. Good. See ya. Good luck. And that's not really... The issue, right? So A, that's the worst coaching you could ever, I can't even imagine that's called coaching really. But the other thing is I'm making a huge amount of assumptions. They've asked me a question. So what does a psychologist do? What does a doctor do? Even though they're pressed, they've got 16 patients still waiting. When you say, ah, I got a back pain, you know, but they don't say, oh, do this, this, or this. They sit down and say, well, tell me more about that. What's going on here? 
and they're there they act like a doctor they're pulling information because what they don't want to do is to solve a symptom they want to solve the real issue so when people are running in in this hectic environment and by the way sales leaders have the toughest job of all time mm. right they do they're like air traffic controllers but yet with the least amount of training in any group in their organization they're they're responsible for all the revenue so it's just weird dichotomy but so when I, I brushed in, I have to slow down for a minute. Just take, okay. So Dave, how do you do this? All right, give me some more information. What, what are you trying to do here? And then I start asking questions. And what I realized is I would have given him this answer, but in reality, it's probably two or three steps up here because they're only giving me what's happening now, not what's causing it or really how they got there. And so it's kind of like pollution, right? You can fix it here, but you got to go upstream. It's, it's really not, it's just coming downstream. So we're, we're, let's go to the root of the problem here. And I think that's really what we have to do. So if you think about that, a couple of things come to mind, guys. One is the 70-30 rule. Managers should be talking 30% of the time, not 70% of the time, right? You're not there to hear yourself speak, right? And by the way, when they come to their own conclusions, then they own that answer versus yes. you telling them something. And then they go out and try it. You know what they say to themselves when it doesn't work out? Well, obviously that's why Dave's a sales leader because he can't sell. That was a worthless, worthless suggestion, but that's not true. So when they come to those conclusions, it's great. So I think those, you have two ears, one mouth, use them in, you know, in proportion that they were given to you. And I also think you have to be present for every conversation. So I know I feel like you're not paying attention to me when people are multitasking, when they're talking to you, which I catch myself doing. I mean, I'm not perfect. I catch myself doing, I'm saying, oh my gosh, you should be fired, which I've said that enough times. That's why I bought this place. So I can't, I can't fire myself, but it's terrible, right? They do this all the time. And you can see people when they're on Zoom, they're looking, they slightly look left, look at just slightly left. So they think they've got the trick that they look at you every so often, but they're multitasking, right? They're multitasking, come on. Or the Zoom camera's not even on. Really? Really? You don't think I can hear the water? No, I'm not that sarcastic, but you know, come on. Be in the moment. Yes. Be present. Show them the respect, right? Show respect. And by the way, coaching is based on relationship. So you've got to have a relationship with your leader or your sales rep. And if you don't, and you don't have one when they're multitasking, not really listening. I know that happens to me at home, right? It doesn't, it doesn't make me feel good. I'm talking, there's six people at my dinner table. No one's hearing a word that I said. And so I, why would we do that to the people that generate our revenue? So those are some of the things that just pop up. Dave, this is Dave, I'm loving this. And I wanna highlight something you said from knowing to owning and everything we're trying to stress is ownership. Yep. Part of why you're teaching and emphasizing this sense of curiosity, this ability to have strategic listening is to get the people they're training, to get their sales teams to own their work, to own their book of business, to own what they're going after. And I love that. In the book, Dave, there was a story in there that I love it, that you built around the principle of lead with integrity. And you share about a managing director who noticed that there was limited parking space at his office which led to stress, the impact of the organization, of course, it affected productivity. So he decided just to start riding his bike to work. And without saying a word to anybody else in the organization, something bizarre, or should I say amazing happened. Behavior within the organization changed. Within yeah. six months, the garage went from being full of cars to now being overrun by bicycles. Right. And so it made me think about my journey when I was a young minister in the 90s about the power of personal leadership. And I remember one of our staff meetings, one of the influential leaders in the church and all the churches that came together at the staff meeting, he came in with a blue blazer, uh, tan khakis. The next staff meeting, every one of us came in with a blue blazer and tan khakis because somehow we thought that's what we should be doing. Yeah. So the point you made in the book is that whether people consciously are aware of this or not, they tend to model the behavior of leadership. They tend to model the behavior of decision paths that are based on the examples of the leaderships that, that's there. Yeah. Can you speak to how not just the sales trainees, the sales teams, how they need to take ownership, but also 
the level of responsibility a leader has in regards to his or her own personal example. Yeah, uh, and by the way, what you did when they came in, right, with the blue blazer, I used to always write down as a sales rep what type of clothing my prospect was wearing. And I would wear that same thing the very, you know, the very next meeting. And you'd be shocked at the, how many people said, I love that shirt, I got one like that. I said, oh, that's cool. I never realized that. Awesome, right? So matching and mirroring, right? That's but it. Here, look, you, you, as a leader, you're always on clock time. You're never off the clock. So we always know you have to watch, you know, listen to what people say, but watch what they do. So I think when you make comments uh, about other employees or about a situation, or you get frustrated and say something about a client or whatever the case may be, or you do something that is you don't allow your people to do with a client, but you do it because you have the power or you do something that is gray. Let's say it's gray. You've kind of rationalized your way through this, but you probably wouldn't like it done to you. I think those are all things that begin to eat away in your organization. Because I also think that you're not around as the culture police all the time. But if they see me in a consistent manner, the way that I approach things, the way I talk about things, the way I think about things, then they'll do the same in my absence. And that's how you replicate yourself because it's not through micromanagement. It's really act and act as if you want everyone else to act. And that's really what it is. And I, I can tell you, from, it's disappointing how many times I go into a company and they say X and they're the complete opposite, right? I mean, let's do it. Just a very simple example. Everybody in this company must be on time. This is, you will be on time or you're going to have blah, 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 blah. All right, well, that's great, but you better be on time too because how many leaders show up late and they say, oh, whew, sorry, man. I just back to back. I'm very, very important meeting. So, uh, so I have a title, therefore I can be late, right? Okay, it happens occasionally. I get it, but just because you're a leader doesn't give you a get out of jail card free, right? So if you have a time thing, then you're on time. And I've had to take stuff back because I couldn't live up to it. So I said, well, how is everyone else doing? So we've actually scaled things back that were policy set for the policy. It's just unrealistic, right? So I think those are the things that you have to think about. And quite frankly, in your personal lives as parents, you're doing the same thing, really, aren't you? You say to your kids, hey, don't smoke as an example, but you know, you can't be at the dinner table on your 15th cigarette during dinner. I mean, that's not a what do you that's a complete disconnect. But yet we do this in our in our professional lives more than we think. We've got to be careful. And I think you you feel special as you go up the organizational ladder ladder. So you can you can do stuff that maybe they can't do. And I know that makes you feel good at some level. But the fact is you've got to be ultra the example of what you want everyone down in the organization to be doing below you. And I think that speaks volumes. This is Danny. I really appreciate that because when the leader does the right thing, when they're telling their employees to do it and then the employees see that, they respect the leader more. And there's nothing that makes employees upset more than anything else is to do as I say, not as I do mentality. So I do appreciate you bringing that up. I love the fact that you said you'll see your customer and, and you see what they wear. And the next week, you'll wear, you'll wear something similar to them. They'll say, hey, nice shirt. Yeah. That is awesome because it goes into that technique of mirroring as you as you brought up. And that's some great techniques. And these are some words of wisdom to our audience members out there today. Look, you got to be relatable to you, the people that you're reaching out to. You have to also be wise in how you lead your team as well. Uh, and Dave, that was a great example about everybody wearing that blue blazer and that khakis. That's hilarious. Uh, but Dave, um, from your experience in working with some of the most driven and successful sales leaders out there today, uh, what are one one or two maybe key takeaways you believe they should grasp from your book? And it could be a mindset, it could be a technique, but what are some of the key takeaways that these leaders can grasp from your book? Well, I think that the macro concept is it's not about you. It's about them. And you're the air traffic controller, but everyone below you is doing the work, right? So at the end of the day, yes, you're going to take the hit if it doesn't work but you shouldn't be taking all the credit either. It's just a reflection of everyone's work. So I think that is super important. I think the other thing is that you have to be willing to change, right? 
I can't tell you how many times I go to an organization and the sales leaders say, those people, they, they aren't doing this, they're not doing that. Well, I'll give you a perfect example. We have this behavioral plan. We call it a cookbook, right? So you would ask a salesperson, what does it take to be successful every day? I don't know. But if you say, well, you've got to make X amount of net new calls, call on some existing customers. We want to expand over here. And so they have a well-rounded book, right? Well-rounded day of activity, let's say. So when I say that, and I'm teaching that to leaders, I say, hey, have you ever thought about doing this for your people? Oh, they need it. Absolutely. They, that, would, that would be awesome. That's great. Uh, have you ever thought about it for yourselves? No, 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 no. That, that. Mm, mm, mm. So come on, right? I think we have to create, in addition to what I've said, a atmosphere of accountability. You have to be, you have to be accountable as a leader and you have to have clear future commitments from your people. This is what we've talked about. This is what's happening. This is when it's happening. Here's, you know, an example of success. And that way they clearly know what's going on. And I think oftentimes we leave with wishy-washy next steps, wishy-washy who's doing what, and then we get upset um, or nothing happens. I mean, how many times if the, how many times have you heard a company say, we continually circle the airport, nothing ever gets done around here. So I think it's your job to create that atmosphere of accountability, being accountable yourself, and people will love you for it because they see movement, right? They're always progressing. They get to participate, all the good things that we think about. So those are the macro topics that are fit into those books. But yeah, it's a, I think it's a, it's a hell of a journey for sales leaders. If you think about it, it's hard. Uh, but if you have playbooks, then you can start to literally learn from other people's successes and failures. You can shortcut your own. And I think that's what it's really all about. Dave, this is David. And I, I've got to ask as a follow-up, because I love what you're saying about the value of not only just having a personal example, but knowing your cookbook, knowing what's going to work. And different industries, I'm sure, have different emphasis on different areas, whether it's the number of calls, number of appointments said. All this makes sense. And I remember when I was working for a company in the energy sector and I was first going through Sandler training and literally sitting down with my Sandler rep and looking at how many calls I made in a week, how many appointments did I set up and did that correlate to more closes? And then the following week, Dave changed this, more calls here, changed that. And it was amazing how once I got comfortable and confident and learning how to position myself to ask the right questions, learning how to, to listen for the pain that's beyond the first initial response you get, that the playbook was working for me. The cookbook was working. It, it was like, Dave, okay, you stayed in that two hour frame, you made your calls, you got this many appointments set up, that's exactly what you're hoping for. And the more I was able to use that, I felt like it helped me not just gain more opportunities, gain more closes, I felt like I was gaining confidence. I was gaining that sense of yep. this is where I belong. I know I'm a great sales leader. I know I could do my job effectively. So how do you help the personalities that may not understand that value as much? Is it is as simple as saying, hey, in order for you to emphasize getting uh, your employees using the cookbook, you better get out there and use it. How do you take that accountability level beyond? Because I know we've touched on a couple of times how as the leader, you must also lead up front. And you can't just say, well, you have the charm, you have the personality, you have the title. How about getting a fill with me? Because maybe we can't get in this car and do a field ride but I can sit there next to you on a phone call. I can sit there and listen to your conversation. So how do you help to make sure that it goes beyond just the sales reps having a, sell, a cookbook, but also that the leader, him or herself is following that? So a couple of things. Yes, it builds confidence. You're 100% correct. Uh, but I also think it's good for your mindset. I mean, think about sales. It's a sick profession. I mean, if you really think about it, right? You're losing way more than you win. You imagine hey, you tell your parents, hey, I just went to university because I'm going to lose 90% of the time. Like, really? 90%? But that's the way it is, right? And so it's easy to get deflated. It's easy for your ego to just get crushed. And that's really what happens to most salespeople, right? It's just in their head. And so when you have a behavioral plan, you get to win regardless if you get a sale because I did the activities today. And so I get to leave as a winner. Like I made 100 dials versus I need six sales this week. Oh my gosh, you know, it's three days into it. I am not going to do it. But if you know your numbers, you have to take your sales funnel and reverse engineer it. 
And the reason why you get to keep tweaking it because things change, you become better. And so maybe you don't have to make 20 you know, contacts for one appointment, maybe it goes down to seven. So you get to see that progress, but also you get to see what's happening out there that you can dial it up, but you're in control, love that. Now, how do you get managers and everyone else to embrace it? Uh, first, if you're on a cookbook, I promise you, you will hit your quota at least two and a half months ahead of time. So there's your first driver for all the leaders like, what, two and a half time? Okay, so you will hit your numbers way earlier, I promise you. Second, you actually become more productive because you find out you freed up your time and you mm. can do more. And that's important. But for the sales leaders that are, oh, I don't know, I always have them implement it with their people first. And then when they see it working, it's kind of tough. We then have to go back in time. But to fight them day one to say, you will be on a behavioral plan first and then we'll do your people, it'll never go anywhere. Because most sales leaders that are new, not the experienced ones, will always say, it's my people's problem, not mine, right? And if, you, if they believe that, then do it for their people and then just come back <laughs> and get them because they already have that muscle memory. Now we just have to shift the focus to you because we know the concept works, right? We know it, you've seen it, yes. I bet you it works for you too. And they've, they've got their own proof of concept. Dave, that's a great example, and I appreciate that. This is Danny. I, I want to go back to some stat, uh, a little thing you said earlier today. You had mentioned that it's always difficult how every department, every employee gets trained, but yet the salespeople are one of the least trained individuals. How can a sales leader uh, go back to his or her organization and put in an, an emphasis to create a budget to make sure they can bring in experts like yourself and your and your franchises out there to come in and provide the training. How can a sales leader go up to the organization to request more training? Do you have any insights and thoughts or some type of uh, saying that you give to these leaders that uh, that can go back to the organization to request a budget to have the uh, budget ready to get you guys to come in and do the training? How, how can you help these leaders? Well, we'll be right back after this short break. We want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, Paul Jackowitz of pauljackowitz.com. For all your website design and management needs, visit Paul Jackowitz. That's Paul, J-A-C-K-I-E-W-I-C-Z.com. Are you projecting the right image to your market? Are you optimizing your name recognition and presence online? Elite Public Image is a leader in strategic communications and marketing solutions, ranging from public relations, brand communications, and content marketing strategy to social media and reputation management for businesses, professionals, and VIPs of all types. Whether you're looking to develop a particular brand or need a brand refresh, look no further than Elite Public Image. Visit ElitePublicImage.com and let Elite put their experience to work for you. Thank you for listening to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. As a special thank you, we have an amazing offer for our listeners for a free consultation over the next two weeks. Visit our website and schedule your free 30-minute consultation. And now, let's get back to the episode. Welcome back to Twins Talk It Up podcast. Well, I think there's a couple of things that go on. First, most sales leaders are afraid to go ask for the budget because they think they're supposed to be doing it. Now, that's not true in very large organizations, but really in scaling companies, they think the CEO, the owner, is that's why they hired you. So if I go in and say I need somebody, that shows weakness. And that's not true, right? That's not true. But one of the things that you can do if you're a sales leader going to the next layer up of management to fight for your position is do a business case, right? So let's just do some simple math here now. Uh, you know, from the funnel, our team is closing three out of 10. The average deal size is a million dollars, right? So what happens if we could get just two more? That's $2 million per rep. We have 20 reps. That's $40 million. You know, bah, 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 bah. And then it's easy versus, oh, uh, we need more training. Why? Because I don't think my people are any good. 
I mean, you wouldn't even buy from yourself on some of these presentations I've heard from upper management, right? Because you, I mean, really, it's terrible. But if you do a business case with the math, where we are now, what you think it could be, right? And figure out what that sales, how many reps, how many sales cycles. It's very easy to say, okay, I get it. That's, we'll, we'll take a shot at that because they're gonna see the dial moving. That means also though, this is the magic. If your sales leader does that, your CEO, now you can hold them to be accountable for what they've done versus, I don't know what happened. I, I, I had training come in, I, I checked the box. If they're, listen, sales training will fail 100% of the time if, if middle management does not reinforce it. I promise. You know, if we had a magic pill, salespeople would be taking a long time ago, right? So if they don't reinforce it, it'll become, and this too shall pass and just check the box. And in some sick way, you get to blame Sandler or you get to blame whoever, because it was really them. And that's not, that's not accurate. You have to look in the mirror. If you're, and I, we tell people up front, if the managers aren't involved, we are not doing this deal. You should buy lottery tickets. If you're going to make a social donation, at least have an opportunity to get your money back by lottery tickets, because it's not happening. And, I, and once they come to that conclusion, because they don't necessarily want to do that, but if you put them through the sales training first, and like, okay, this is pretty good. I like this. And we put our people through it. And then you put them through coaching. That's the magical combination. But I think that's really what it boils down to in order to help them build that business case, but to do the math. That's awesome. This is Danny again. I appreciate that. And you know, I think a lot of organizations don't do that. They don't sit down and do the math. And I think if they did that and they looked at the potential and the, the profitability, you talked about two extra million per sales rep. Uh, who's going to say no to that? I mean, that's right. your training is a fraction of the cost of the revenue that's coming in. I think that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Danny, how many times do, uh, do leaders actually ask for people that are making requests of any kind? What's the yep. business case? Exactly, we exactly. make decisions based on who's asking me, right? No, I know, no, uh, and what the topic is. But if you just force everyone to do a business case, probably half the things that you're being asked for will never be asked for because they realize that. And when you say no, you know, if there's no business case, they, they take it personally. But if it's like, hey, that, that the ROI there, it doesn't make sense, or it does make sense, but we're gonna have to fit it in here based on all the other you know, projects that we have going on. And then everybody at least knows what's going on. But it's that wishy-washy, you know, which ones are we going to pick today thing? That's yeah. kind of hurt. So I think you're doing everybody a favor by forcing them to do a business case. That's awesome. So our audience today, look, if you want to get the appropriate movement from your leaders, you better have a good business case. Don't just walk in the, into his or her office and demand something. You better have a good business case behind it. If there's profitability and you speak their ROI language or their KPI that they care about the most, more than likely it will happen. Uh, Dave, another quick question. Uh, we all know Sandler's reputation for training, sales training. And we know the great work you do with the sales rep as well as sales leadership. You have the podcast, you have the books, you have the great partnership with HubSpot now, you have your own LMS platform. Wow. And you've grown drastically during the pandemic. What's next for Sandler? I mean, you guys are doing so well. What's next? Well, a couple things. Uh, we we have completely rewritten our sales content and management, as I said, but we wanna dominate sales leadership. I think if you really look at our space, most people will say Sandler is known for actionable tactics and strategies for my sales reps. And that's a crowded space, right? I mean, you think about it, everyone that got fired last week is a sales trainer these days. So, you know, there's a lot of people that you're doing, but that's crowded. We still do quite well. Nobody owns sales leadership. If you, if you want to do sales training without sales leadership, it's a huge mistake. But we've had those programs, but we've now made a concerted effort. We will own that space. We will own sales leadership. And for all the, the obvious reasons why. And so that's a, that's a big gig. I think also in the future, you're going to see us from, as I said, that technology and content will be one. You know, you'll start to see content as a service pop up with us. And you'll start to see all of our content built into tech stacks that aren't currently there. That's what you're going to see from Sandler. In addition to, look, we have content, but there are roles now popping up. And I'm, you know, STRs 10 years ago, where were they? Or customer success or all the other things that pop up, especially in like the tech world. We have programs specifically written for 
you know, here's customer success, sales enablement, you know, SDRs, whatever the case may be. And taking that generic Sandler training and make it very specific for the roles, here are the tools, here are the talk tracks, it's done for you. That's really what you're gonna see from us. Dave, this is David, and I'm really excited to share with our listeners today that when you engage with Sandler, when you engage with their work, you're going to be able to see a more personalized approach to your specific industry. When you were speaking, Dave, I instantly started thinking about my twin brother and how you were talking in his language and anything you can say about technology, tech stacks, and, and literally when you say this is going to be more personalized for your specific industry, for your specific role, right. that gets Danny excited. So I love that. You know, I want to thank you, Dave, for coming on because so much of what we're learning about leadership, so much of what we're talking about goes beyond just giving them tools to become better sales trainers. No, you're giving them tools to become great sales leaders. And we know that leadership is specifically now more than ever through this pandemic has been needed. And if leaders can commit themselves to being great examples, to learning how to listen, to be able to create the right type of experience for their employees and their teams, you're going to see an uptake. You're going to see an increase in productivity. You're going to see an increase in health and wellness and them being excited. They're going to be motivated because now they feel like they're a part of the team and not just the yes men doing what you tell them to do. They, they're going to love that. And that's why I appreciate the book that you put out, Dave, Scaling Sales Success, 16 Key Principles for Sales Leaders. These are incredible opportunities for us to learn. And maybe you just say to yourself, every single week, I'm going to take one aspect of this book, one chapter, and I'm going to learn to internalize it. I'm going to learn to work on the things that I'm not as strong in so that I can become the leader I need for my sales team. Because as we go... We already know, so they follow. And if we're pushing ourselves to be the best leaders we can be, the teams that we're supporting will do the same in turn. So, Dave, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you for talking about what Sandler's doing, what you're looking forward to doing. These are exciting times, Dave. Thankful to have you on Twins Talking Up again. Thanks for having me, guys. Look forward to our next opportunity. Thank you for listening to the Twins Talk It Up podcast. Please subscribe and follow us on Instagram at DSP Leadership and visit us online at dspleadershipgroup.com to learn more about our workshops and trainings. We will see you on the next episode of the Twins Talk It Up podcast.